Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, May the 27th, 2022. It is currently 5.20 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, two stories above a street right here in Abilene, Texas. And wherever you may be listening, however you may be listening, whenever you may be listening, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. I know you have millions of other things to listen to, but you have decided to listen to the best theology podcast in the history of theology. Okay, maybe that's a little bit uh, much. Maybe that's a little hyperbolic. Maybe maybe a little bit of hyperbole there. Uh, Can we say this? The, the busiest podcast, the, the podcast with the most episodes per week. I, I wonder, could we, maybe, maybe we could say that that is true, right? I don't, I don't know too many podcasts that produces more episodes per week than I do. Maybe, you know, of one, I would love to know which one it is. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. We need to make a list of the, of the 10 busiest podcast that you can think of the ones I mean obviously you have the hourly news podcast that I cannot keep up with like uh NPR news now uh see Fox News uh I can't remember there's a couple of them BBC that every hour wait BBC minute I think that drops like every 15 or every 30 minutes so there's some I can't keep up with but it is interesting that on I think Pocket Cast or one of the podcast apps, they classify the Theology Central podcast as an hourly podcast. That's, I think that's pretty impressive considering, well, it's just me. Okay. If I had, if I had other people, a part of the Theology Central team, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to be doing broadcast at this time. You do broadcast in the next segment of time. And I would just like, I would do 24 hours a day, seven days a week podcast, but I don't have a team. It's just me. But so I guess we're the busiest. I guess maybe we put out a lot of episodes. Now, the quality of each episode, yes, I, I know. It, that's willing. That's up for d- debate, right? Some people say your quantity does not override your poor quality. I understand that. But I will say this, that even in the podcast that you may not think uh, are, is, that you may not think turns out very well, that you don't think it's really great. I I hope you do realize they are all very, 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 very real, right? They're not all edited. They're not all cut and pasted. It's just me, microphone, hit the button, go live. Whatever happens, it goes live all across the internet, and then it's posted all over the internet. So, um, Hopefully that is beneficial, but we have a lot to do. So let's just get to it. Let's get to it. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. I always struggle with what to do on holiday weekends. I really do. My history going way, 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 way back in a pod. Well, I was podcasting before there was a thing called podcast way back. I've always learned that sometimes in my mind, I would always think, Hey, it's, it's a holiday weekend. Let's turn on the microphone and do a marathon. And I would do episode after episode after episode after episode. And then when the holiday week <laughs> weekend was over, I would look at the numbers and go, that was probably stupid. Because in my mind, I, you know, I would have 
extra time on those holiday weekends back then because, well, I was, you know, had a full-time job in the military. So I'd like, okay, I'm going to make the most of it. But what I didn't realize is that a lot of other people, when it's the holiday weekend, they don't think, listen to podcast. They're like, no, go to the lake, go to the pool, go to the park, go to a baseball game, you know, fire up the grill, go on a road trip. They're not like, hey, I'm going to sit in my house all weekend and listen to Theology Central. So I don't know what this week, I think I'm just going to just, you know, business as usual and whatever happens, happens. So we will see, but we have something we have to work on. Okay. And I don't know if this is going to conclude. I don't know if I'm going to conclude the series with this, but we have been working on, well, Numbers chapter 22, let's say all the way, what to Numbers. We've been working on primarily Numbers 22, but we're going to take this almost uh, to Numbers, Numbers 22 and 23, not necessarily uh, 12 and part of 24. So I guess 22 to 24. Numbers 22 to 24 is kind of the section we've been working on. And to remind you why we're working on this is I was looking at the, the book and the study guide. And remember, the, these, these things are being sold all over the place for a very long time. They're somewhat influential, uh, called The 30 Life Principles uh, by Charles Stanley, right? He's got the book. He's got the study guides. He's got the Life Principles Bible, He's got a series of sermons. I think they may have even been placed on DVD at one point in time. I just know that that they're still being sold on, and lots of Christian publications are advertising them. So a lot of people have used them and a lot of churches have used them. So I, I've always been curious about the 30 principles, right? Because I look at the 30 principles and sometimes I'm just baffled, not only by the principle, but by the scripture they use to supposedly prove the principle. It's almost like they came up with the principle first and then try to find a scripture to support it and would, they have to twist the scripture in many cases to make it work. And I believe that is exactly the case with life principle number three, which is, now here's the principle, God's word is an immovable anchor in times of storm. God's word is an immovable anchor in times of storm. That's a, that's a very sound principle. But what was fascinating when you open the book and open the study guide to study that principle, they send you to the book of Numbers, chapter 22, basically through 24. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. Why Numbers? Why? And not only that, it has this absolutely crazy story of Balaam talking to a donkey and the donkey talking back to Balaam. What, what in the world is that all about? So we've really kind of, I've tried to demonstrate that I think the story of Balaam and the donkey is really there to illustrate the bigger narrative, right? God, it seems like Balaam, at least at the beginning, is not necessarily listening to God, right? God has told him already, don't go, don't listen. And he, it seems like that there's maybe a back and forth. And so this is kind of illustrated maybe in a certain way with Balaam and his back and forth with the donkey. I, we, we, we talked about that. I'm not going to go back and review everything. You should, you should go and check all of that out. So um, we, we worked on all of that, and I, I thought, okay, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just take the next section. We, we made it. We're just kind of been basically going kind of verse by verse, and we'll just take the next section that we come to. But I'm going to interrupt that, and I'm going to go back to this principle that the Life Principle book says is somehow proven in Numbers 22 to 24. Remember, the life principle is this. 
God's word is an immovable anchor in times of storm. It's an immovable anchor. God's word is fixed. God's word is sure. God's word cannot be moved. God's word cannot be changed. It is immovable. So you can grab on to it. Does the story of Balaam and everything happening with, uh, with Balaam, uh, Balak, Balaam, the donkey, everything else going on, um, the Moabites, everything happening in the story, does it somehow prove this point? I think I may have a way to make it work. I hope I'm not twisting it too much. I still think the whole story between Balaam and the donkey is just, I, I think it's picturing something else, but we've already worked on that. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to try to demonstrate this. And hopefully this will be somewhat beneficial, all right? So if you remember, Numbers chapter 22, just listen and see if this works. Maybe we can prove this principle. There's a reason why I struggled, because to me, this, well, I'll just, I'll just demonstrate it and you'll see why, all right? So here we go. Numbers chapter 22, if you remember basically what was happening. Now, the Israelites had traveled on and camped in the plains of Moab near the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Moab was terrified of the people because they were numerous, and Moab dreaded the Israelites. So the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde will devour everything around us like an ox eats up the green plants in the field. They're worried. Here's Israel. They're like, they're they're dangerous. We got to do something about it. What can we do? How can we stand against them? So Balak uh, the son of Zippor, he was Moab's king at the time. He decided to send a messenger, or messengers, plural, to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is by the Euphrates in the land of his people. Now, Balak said unto him, look, a people has come, across, come out of Egypt. They cover the surface of the land and are living right across from me. Please and come and put a curse on these people for me because they are more powerful than I am. I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. Basically, look, we can't beat them, but if you put a curse on them, that may weaken them. That may put them in a position that we then would have the strategic advantage and we could come in and wipe out this threat. So Balak, he said, he hears of, he knows of Balaam. Balaam must have some kind of fame, some kind of reputation some kind of credibility about being able to put curses and, and blessing on people. And he's like, look, you curse them, we'll defeat them, all right? We'll be a good team, all right? That, that's kind of his, his uh, message that he wants from Balaam. And, and as we've talked about, and I'm just trying to go through this and kind of paraphrase all of this and kind of give you a basic idea of what's going on, all right? So the elders of Moab, they depart with fees for divination. They take money and, you know, treasure because they're going to pay him. They come to Balaam and report Balak's words to him. He said to them, spend the night here and I will give you the answer the Lord tells me. So the officials of Moab stayed with Balaam. Now, this is where the story gets weird because clearly Balaam talks to God and he's he, he clearly expects God to give him an answer. So he's like, okay. And he looks really pious here. He looks really godly in the story, right? He looks wonderful. Hey, hey guys, okay, I, you've got money, you've got everything, but stay here. I'm going to go ask God, right? Looks pious, looks godly, looks righteous, right? Then God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? 
Balaam replied to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent his messengers to me. And he repeats what he was told. Look, a people has come out of Egypt. They come over the surface of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me that I may be able to fight against them and drive them away. And then God says to Balaam, you are not to go with them. You are not to curse this people for they are blessed. Don't go. Don't curse. Israel is blessed. Simple and straightforward, right? Now, Remember the life principle. The life principle is God's word is an immovable anchor. So this would be like, okay, don't go, don't curse. God's word is an immovable anchor. So Balaam should immediately go back and say, I can't go. I can't curse. Leave me alone. God's word is an immovable anchor. And that would be perfect proof for this life principle that Charles Stanley gives in his 30 life principles book. But what's weird is the story doesn't quite work out that way. Like it's so immovable. In fact, it seems to be very movable. In fact, it seems to be fluctuating and it seems to be, wait a minute, God is, God seems to go against what he, he says right there, which seems to go against the principle or maybe we're wrong. Let's see what happens. All right. So and I know we've already talked about this, but let's just walk through this again. All right. So he, he, they, that's what God tells him. Don't go, don't bless. Balaam gets up in the morning. He said to Balak, go back to your land because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now that, that sounds, that sounds really good. That sounds like, okay, the story should stop right there. And you should just have Balak being like, hi, I hate Balaam. Maybe he decides to have Balaam killed. Or maybe he's like, you know what? We're just going to go fight Israel. Forget this guy who, who, who gives curses and blessings. He's probably a fake anyway. But that's, that's not how the story goes. The story gets really, really strange, all right? So the officials, they go back to Balak. They report that Balaam refused to come. Balak sent officials again with uh, who were more numerous and higher rank than the others. They came to Balaam and said unto him, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Let nothing keep you from coming to me, for I will greatly honor you and do whatever you ask me. So please come and put a curse on these people for me. Now, again, Balaam should just say, I can't go. I can't curse. Nothing can change that because God's word is an immovable anchor, right? That, that's how the story should go, but it doesn't. For some weird reason, Balaam turns around. Now, this sounds so pious. Again, this sounds so pious, but Balaam responded to the servants of Balak. Now, he, he's going to respond in a very, again, very religious and godly way. Listen, if Balak, hey guys, listen to me, if Balak, were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the commandment of the Lord my God to do anything small or great. Oh, that sounds so good. Wow, this is showing, this is showing uh, that God's word is an immovable anchor. I'm sorry about that getting a, a, a FaceTime call. This is showing that God's word is an immovable anchor. This is showing that, 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 that Balaam understands you don't go against God's word. It sounds so good. It comes across so pious. But what's weird is what he does next. Hey, guys, 
I can't go. Even if you give me all the, all a palace full of gold, I can't go. But then the very next verse, verse 19, he's like, hey, but it's almost like, hey guys, if you were to give me a palace full of gold, I couldn't go stay right here. Stay right here overnight because uh, I'm going to find out what the, uh, what else the Lord has to tell me. Hey, hey, just stay right here. I'm, I'm going to go find out what else God has to tell me. And the reason we think that this clearly is revealing what's actually in his heart is because the New Testament speaks of the way of Balaam be that of greed, that he's greedy. He's greedy. So this seems to, the fact that he, he, he comes across as pious, but in his heart, he's like, I can't go, but, 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 but just stay here. Cause I, I want to go make sure I want to go make sure that like he's, he's the greed is there. And I wonder how many times we cover up our lust, our greed, our bitterness, our hatred, our whatever is inside of us. I wonder how many times we cover up all of the bad in us in very religious, pious sounding words. I, was, I wonder sometimes if the more pious we sound, the more religious we try to sound, the more condemning we try to sound. I wonder sometimes that that is just an over, we're overcompensating for the ungodliness that we are so painfully aware of that's inside of us. I wonder if sometimes that outward piety, that outward super spirituality is nothing more than a cover for the horrible ungodliness inside of us. Uh, that, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. But it's weird. Now, this is where, depending on translation, there's a lot There's a, that, that this may clear up some things and may prove that God's word is the immovable anchor. Just, just watch. So God came to Balaam at night and said to him, now stop. I'm going to switch to a different translation. That's 2220, right? Numbers 2220. King James reads, And God came to Balaam at night and said unto him, If, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the world which I, the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shall do. If they come to you, this almost seems, there's one way to possibly understand this story because Balaam's going to go, as we've already discovered in our study of it. Balaam's going to go with him. He's just going to get up and go, let's go, right? Let's go. You brought all of that. I mean, he he's thinking maybe, it's almost like the New Testament seems to show that he's greedy and he's like, okay, I, you you, you seem to give the possibility I could go, I'm going. Now, some could read the King James translation and say, okay, basically the God is saying, you stay right here. And if they come to you right here, then you go. And he just wakes up and goes. So demonstrating that Balaam, well, really wasn't listening to God's word. Others read it like, well, God at this point is basically saying, you know what? You know what? You, I already told you, you can't go. I already told you not to curse them. You want to go? Just go. Others others understand it that way. He's just saying, just go. Just go. Just go. Well, that, that doesn't make God's word seem so immovable. The trans, another translation that I have right here states it this way. All right, this is interesting. God came to Balaam at night and said, since these men have come to summon you, get up and go with them, 
but you must only do what I tell you. Now, the only problem with this is, but wait a minute, that sounds good. Hey, since they came, you can go. Since they came, you can go. The only problem is verse 22, but God was incensed that Balaam was going. What? Wait, wait, you just said, hey, since they came, you can go. And God is mad. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make God's word seem like it's immovable. That seems to, it fluctuates and it changes. That one, that clearly doesn't prove the life principle point that Charles Stanley was trying to make by it. But not only that, it just is confusing. So there had to be something. The only way we can understand this either is, hey, you stay here and if they come to you and Balaam didn't wait, or or God is just like, okay, I, I already told you, just go. And Balaam should say, but wait, 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 you already told me not to go. I can't go. Maybe, was it a, a test, a challenge? I don't know. But God is upset. This is the part of the story that really goes against the life principle that we're supposed to go to Numbers 22 to 24 to find, which is God's word is an immovable anchor. This just like, go. No, don't. You can't go. Don't. Go, or, or, I'm sorry. You can't go. All right, go. Now I'm mad that you went. And you're like, that seems so wishy-washy. Well, what, what is going on? But there is one aspect of the story that does appear to stay somewhat consistent. All right? He told them, you can't curse Israel. You can't curse them. Here, he tells them, all right, in this translation, since these men have come to summon you, go up and go with them, but you but you must only do what I tell you. All right, you go, you go, but you do what I tell you. Now, I, I it's still baffling that in the next verse, verse 22, God is incensed and God is mad. I know, again, I know all the possible ways of trying to work around it, but it just seems odd to me. I think what it demonstrates I think more than anything, and I think the New Testament helps us here, is that he went, but he went with every, I think, and I'm, I guess I guess I shouldn't say I should be dogmatic here. He went with so much greed in his heart that he was willing, okay, you tell me to go, he was going to go, and he was going to be willing to curse. I don't know. But then we have the crazy story back and forth between Balaam and the donkey, which I think is picturing the the kind of the back and forth between God and Balaam. And, and we, we talked about that. But so here's what I want to do. I want to look at the following scriptures and, and see, again, this, this go, don't, don't go, go. Now I'm mad that you went. It is confusing, but there is something that kind of rises up in the text, right? Look at Numbers 22, 12. This is the first time it shows up. You're not to go with them. You're not to curse this people. Right? You're not to curse this people. Then 22.20, God came to Balaam at night and says, since these men have come to you, go with them, but you must only do what I tell you. Don't curse them. You can only do what I tell you. All right. Then 22.35, then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but you are to say only what I tell you. Now, this is seeming to be a common thing. I'll go, don't go, go. I'm mad that going, now go. 
that story is just, I, 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 that's so much to try to figure out what in the world is going on there. But the one thing that stays consistent is you're going to do what I tell you. You're not going to curse Israel. You're, uh, when I, when, in fact, what it says right here, 2235, um, go with them, but you are to say only what I tell you. You're to say only what I tell you. Then in, is it 2238? 2238. Balaam said to him, look, I have come to you, but I can, but can I say anything I want? I must speak only the message God puts in my mouth. The same idea is like, hey, I can't just say anything I want. I can't just do whatever I want here. I've got to say what God tells me to say. I can only do what God tells me to do. And clearly God has already said, you cannot curse Israel. Now, I know the problem with this, this, this would preach so good, but we still have the weird thing about, well, don't go, go. Now I'm mad that you're going, now go. It's just so wishy-washy in that section, but this remains consistent, right? So that's 2212, 2220, 2235, 2238, and then you go to chapter 23, verse 4, God met with him and Balaam said to him, I have arranged seven altars and offered a a bull and a ram on each altar. Then the Lord put a message in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and say what I tell you. So he returned to Balak who was standing there by the burnt offering with all the officials of Moab and Balaam proclaimed his poem. He, He begins to say the words that God has put in his mouth. Once again, it's God's word. He's got to say what God tells him to say, right? Then in 2311, after he's kind of giving this first oracle, right? The, then this is what uh, uh, Balak says. What have you done to me? I brought you up to curse my enemies, but look, you have only blessed them. Balaam answers, shouldn't I say exactly what the Lord puts in my mouth? Like, hey, I, I told you I can only say what God tells me to say. I can only do that, right? Then if you look at 23, was it verse 16? The Lord met with Balaam and put a message in his mouth. Then he said, return to Balak and say what I tell you, right? So even though the first time uh, Balaam did not curse Israel, Balak, Balak does not give up, right? He doesn't give up. He's like, come on, I need you, I need you to do this, All right? So then look what happens. That's 23, 16. Look at 2326. Uh, he he, uh, he proclaims another poem, basically another blessing. Then Balak told Balaam, this is 2325, don't curse them. Then Balak told then Balak told Balaam, don't curse them and don't bless them. But Balaam answered, didn't I tell you whatever the Lord says I must do? All right. So, but Balak doesn't give up in verse 27. Again, Balak said to Balaam, please come. I will take you to another place. Maybe it will be agreeable to God that you can put a curse on them for me there. Like Balak doesn't give up. He's like, I need these guys cursed. I don't know what you keep doing. Stop it. Let's go somewhere else. And then maybe there it will work. Well, then look what happens in 2412. Or verse 10. All right. 
2410. Then Balak became furious with Balaam, struck his hands together and said to him, I have summoned you to put a curse on my enemies, but instead you have blessed them these three times. Now go to your home. I said I would reward you richly, but look, the Lord has denied you a reward. And Balaam answered Balak, didn't I previously tell the messengers you sent me? If Balak were to give me uh, his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the Lord's command and do anything good or bad of my own will. I will say whatever the Lord says. In some ways, when you read the story there, Balaam looks actually, he looks very godly in many ways, right? We, we have to kind of in... We have to kind of interpret in some cases that he's not so godly, and that's really based off New Testament writing. If you just read the story, he kind of comes across relatively godly. We, we, have, we have to almost kind of find clues in there that we think points to something other. But in all of those passages, other than, now remember, I'm already admitting that there's some wishy-washy here. God's like, you can't go. God's then go. Then God gets mad that he goes. Then God says, go. I don't know what in the world's going on with all of that. That just seems, it goes against the principle. But the rest of this seems to indicate my word is what is going to occur. I'm going to tell you what, you're not going to say anything other than what I tell you. And you're, and I told you that Israel cannot be cursed. They're not going to be cursed. They're going to be blessed and you're going to do so. Whatever Balaam's motives were, whatever his greed was, whatever wrong he was, God's word stood. God's word was immovable. God's word was an ankle, an anchor that could not be removed. It was there. It was set and it was going to happen just as God said. In fact, you probably are very familiar with this verse in Matthew 24. I know Matthew 24 has very specific context, primarily to 70 AD, but we, we do know we have these words. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Doesn't matter. The whole world can pass away. God's word is not. God's word is eternally fixed. It is immovable. It, uh, every every jot and tittle will be fulfilled. It is the eternal, infallible word of God. It cannot be changed. It's the words of the sovereign king. It's the words of the sovereign God. It cannot be changed. It cannot be moved. So in some ways, the story does prove, I guess, to some level, as the, the principle says, that God's word is an immovable anchor in times of storm. It's an immovable anchor in any time. But there's other parts of the story that I don't, I just don't get. I, I don't get. And so I'm just going to leave you with a couple of questions here. All right. Now, and again, this is my typical way of teaching. A lot of people hate this. They just want that nice little sermon where it's all put together. And I like to just make a struggle with it. I like getting you involved in the process, not just listening to me, Right. And so I want you to spend some time in Numbers 22 to 24. I almost turned this into a Bible study exercise because that's what, how I typically work the Bible study exercises. But there's a lot here I'm still trying to figure out. And, and I've, I've preached this and, touched and, and studied this and read this so many times. And every time I read it, I'm just as baffled by it. Like no matter how many times I think I have it figured out, the next time I'm just as confused by it. Here's the first thing. 
And, it, and I'll just, you can just work on this. If, I don't know what you're doing this Memorial Day weekend, but maybe you want to spend some time studying God's word, or maybe you, you need a conversation for the picnic or the family get together or the hangout at the lake. This is a good conversation starter if you're amongst believers, all right? What do you find in Numbers 22 to 24? Everybody bring their Bibles to the lake, to the park, to the pool, okay? Everyone stop. No no swimming for the next hour because we're going to eat God's word, okay? You can just have everyone try to work on this. What clues in Numbers 22 to 24 indicate the character of, okay, let me, let me state this. What do you find in Numbers 22 to 24 that seems to be consistent with the way Balaam is described in the New Testament. Find the New Testament references to Balaam, and you're going to see negative, negative. He's going to be viewed in a very negative way. What do you see in Numbers 22 to 24 that you go, well, okay, I think that's a clue. I think that's a clue. I mean, the, the first clue I have is when God says, you can't go, you can't curse. And then as soon as they come back, he's like, hey, even if you gave me all the money, but stay right here, and I'm going to go see if God has anything else to say. That, to me, is an indication of something wrong. However, he, he never curses Israel, but does he never curse Israel because God won't let him? Or does he, because at, at the end, Balaam seems to kind of say, I told you I couldn't do it. I told you. Even if you gave me all the money, I told you I couldn't do it. So, like the 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 story in Numbers twenty two twenty four almost seems to make him up of the hero of the story, where the New Testament seems to make him the villain of the story. So what do you find in Numbers twenty two to twenty four? Going there's the clue there right there that that indicates something was wrong. Now I know we have to kind of we have to kind of speculate, but we do have New Testament scripture that seems to prove this. All right, so that's that's the first thing I want you to do. What what do you find in Numbers 22 to 24 to give you some kind of hint that something's not right with Balaam or something that indicates what we find about him in the New Testament? Number two, how do you process the whole go? Or I'm sorry, I've got to always got to do it always in the right order. How do, how do you process God telling Balaam, don't go? Okay, go. Wait. I'm angry. I'm furious that you're going to go. I'm going to put the angel of the Lord there with a sword who could possibly kill you. It's only the donkey that saves his life. Okay, what is that all about? Okay, don't go, go. I'm mad that you went. And then as soon as the back and forth happens with the donkey, then Balaam, then God, the angel of the Lord's like, okay, go. Wait, what? You show up to kill me? And then you just to turn around to tell me to go? Well, why are you showing up to kill me? That That's just so, that, that whole story is so bizarre. Again, it, I think it's supposed to be illustrating something. I think it has to be, I, I, I kind of interpreted it as showing a struggle between Balaam and God, but maybe it's supposed to indicate, is it supposed to indicate the struggle between Balak and Balaam? I, I don't I don't, yeah, now I'm, now I'm even questioning that. That's just weird. So how do you understand that? Remember the way it works is don't go, go. Now God is angry that you're going and has the angel of the Lord with a sword ready to kill Balaam. And then after all of that goes down, then the angel of the Lord's like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> what? That's bizarre. Okay. So so how do we, how do we, what, what do we see as clues in Numbers 22 to 24 that indicate the character of Balaam as described in the New Testament? Number two, how do you handle the don't go, go, I'm mad that you're going, now go. How do you handle that? And then number three, 
Do you think that Numbers 22 and 24 in some way, shape, or form does illustrate the truth that God's word is immovable? It's going to stand, and no matter what we do, we can't go against it. And when I say when I say we can fight against it, we can struggle against it, but God's word will ultimately prevail. God's word will, we can try to disobey it, but God's word is still immovable. I hope that makes sense. Do, do you think that, that somehow it does, somehow it does indicate that God's word is an immovable anchor? Do, do you think there's any hint, any clue, anything there? Oh, there's more I want to say. The story is just so crazy. The story is so crazy. I'm just going to stop there. Hopefully, someone will be like, you know, these are these are good questions. He's getting me into the Word of God. This, I love this. Okay, I think some people do, and some people's like, man, just just tell me the answers. But no, I I think we have to struggle with the text. All right, there you go. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And if you are part of the Discord channel, just start talking about it right there. All right, we'll be back on, I guarantee you we'll be back on the air sometime tonight. We'll be back on the air sometime tonight. There, there's just, we, we have to be, there's too much to do. So we'll, we'll be talking about other things tonight. And uh, well, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, everyone have a great evening. Uh, Here's what you do. Listen to me. Church One app. Church O-N-E. Church O-N-E. Church O-N-E. Download the app. It's a generic app. can be used by lots of people. You just type in Theology Central. It grabs all of our content, brings it in. Boom, turns it into the Theology Central app. Make sure your notifications are turned on. The notification system is the best. You'll get a notification every single time I go live and every single time we upload a new sermon and even if we send out push notifications. It is perfect. So um, please download that. You can still listen to us every other way, but it just gives you, it's easy to find all of our uh, older content because everything is broken into series, and it's just easy to listen to us live if you ever want to do that. So, all right. Now, I'll stop. Everyone have a great day. God bless.